The passage of the Respect at Work Bill late last year was hailed as a great leap forward for protecting workers from sexual harassment, discrimination and victimisation. But a key issue remains how costs are awarded by the courts. Basically, who pays when things get nasty? The government initially suggested a cost neutrality approach to the bill, where each side paid for their fees unless the court decided to impose costs. But that provision was removed after concerns that this could unfairly benefit employers and alleged perpetrators. Labor has opened a public consultation process on an appropriate cost model. Greens Senator Larissa Waters has her own ideas. Senator, welcome back to RN Drive. Good to be with you, Andy. So what is an equal access model and and why do you think that this is is important? Well, what we've heard time and time again is that financial risks are a real barrier to workers making complaints about inappropriate behaviour in the workplace. Now they've got this new right to complain about sexual harassment um, and other matters about workplace bullying of a sexual nature. But unfortunately, a right on paper is not the same as an enforceable right in reality if you're worried about having to pay the other side's costs. So many workers, particularly women, weigh up the trauma and the financial risk and they decide to stay silent. So providing more options for victims to make complaints doesn't change a thing if women can't afford to actually take those complaints through to a tribunal and to a court. So the notion of equal access costs is actually what we have in place for whistleblowers and it's designed to remove the barriers for people calling out misconduct. Now, if it's good enough for whistleblowers, it should be good enough for workplace harassment and it's a method of um, saying if you lose you're not liable for the other side's costs, so there's no cost deterrent. But if you win, you are able to have your costs paid by the other side. So it's it's called an equal access cost model or an asymmetric model because essentially it removes that financial disincentive to people standing up for their rights in the workplace. The comparison to whistleblowers there, I mean, uh, that applies in all anti-discrimination proceedings where the respondent may not always be a big entity like it is in whistleblowing cases more broadly. Uh, We're talking about sometimes smaller businesses here, uh, sole traders even, that may end up being bankrupt as, as a result of these proceedings. Well, look, ideally you want to avoid employers being discriminatory or sexually harassing their workers. The way to avoid being in court is to actually have great practices where you keep your workers safe and you make sure that you or none of your colleagues are behaving in a way that is against the law. So I think that's that's the better way is stay out of court altogether by making sure that your workers are safe. And those respect at work laws which passed the, uh, the parliament late last year do now have a positive duty on employers to provide that safe workplace. So hopefully the system works and employers can, can get some training, they can make sure all of the workers in the workplace get that training and people can treat each other with respect and appropriately and non-discriminatorily in the workplace. That's the ideal scenario but unfortunately um, uh, we've seen in the past that there is significant disparity of power between workers and employers and sexual harassment has been sadly tolerated because workers haven't felt that they have the financial ability to take their employer to court to stop this illegal discriminatory sexual harassment. So I'm a strong proponent of making sure that if you give someone rights on paper, you enable them to enforce those rights in reality. But of course, we'd all prefer it if employers took that positive duty to provide a safe workplace really seriously and 
avoided the need to go to court in the first place. The approach in this original bill was backed by Sex Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins at the time and the Human Rights Commission. So so why do you disagree with those two voices? Well, look, it's one of the few things where I take a slightly different approach to the fantastic outgoing Sex Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins. She's done some landmark work in her time, including the Respect at Work report. And this uh, this one issue of who pays costs I listen strongly to the advocates, to the victim survivors and to quite a few legal experts and unions who all said that they were worried about the model that was proposed. They were worried that there was a a risk of applicants, of, of people who'd been sexually harassed in their workplace, there was a risk that they would have to pay the other side's costs. And that was a real deterrent. Now, as I've said, I don't think it's, there's any point giving someone rights on paper if you're then putting those cost barriers in front of them to enforce those rights. So I was quite influenced and, um, and uh, took seriously the concerns of the victim survivors and the advocates who said, we actually want a system where we know we can be safe to stand up for our rights. We're not going to be liable for paying the other side's costs. But if we win, we're able to make sure that our costs are covered. People shouldn't be out of pocket for being sexually harassed at work, particularly not where they're taking a case um, against an employer that should know better and that now has a duty to provide a safe workplace to their workers. It sounds to me like you don't have confidence that the courts will make fair decisions. Not only have you said in this conversation that it's it's beholden on all employers to stay out of the courts in the first place, but under that original approach, the courts would have the power to decide how costs should be uh, divided up. So, uh, is it? Do you do you lack confidence in the court to make fair decisions in this respect? Well, look, it's not so much how I feel about the courts. It's how your average worker who's been sexually harassed at work feels about the potential of being ordered to pay their boss's costs if they stand up for their rights in a court or tribunal. So, I think the fact that people are telling us that they're nervous about being left with a massive bill. And we know historically people have just chosen to stay silent precisely because they're worried about having to pay the other side's costs if they go to court. Now, you just shouldn't have a right on paper that you're disincentivised from from using because you're worried about the deep pockets of your employer. That feels really unfair to me. And I think we've got a a proposed model whereby um, people who've been wrongly treated at work are able to feel comfortable enough to go to court to enforce their rights. And that's that's the one that I'm hopeful that the government will ultimately legislate. But they have put out this consultation paper and we really welcome the fact that they're reconsidering this approach, um, listening to the sector, listening to the Greens um, on this. And I'm hopeful that we'll reach an outcome whereby people's rights are real. They're not just real on paper. And if the government uh, doesn't reach... Uh, the Greens' conclusion on this policy. Would would the Greens support other recommended costing models at the, at the conclusion of the consultation process? Well, look, we'll have a look and see what's being proposed. There's four options that are floated in the consultation paper, but helpfully the paper also says we're open to other suggestions. So I'll be very interested to see what other experts in this field come up with and propose. But ultimately, I want to see women safe at work. I want to see all workers safe at work. And I want to make sure that if people are sexually harassed or vilified or discriminated against at work, that they feel comfortable enough and empowered enough to go to court to enforce their rights, not just to help themselves, but to set that standard for others. 
and I don't want them priced out of accessing justice. If you just join me, Greens Senator Larissa Waters is here on RN Drive. Uh, Senator, just to another issue, your party is pushing for no new coal or gas, but it looks unlikely that Labor will budge there. Is this in fact an ultimatum? I mean, are the Greens ready to not support any legislation that doesn't include this condition or is there in the room for negotiation? Well, we've been really clear that we've offered to back Labor's scheme if they agree to stop opening new coal and gas mines. There's now 116 coal and gas mines that are in the pipeline um, and the new Labor government's approach, sadly, is just the same as the Morrison government's approach. They want to open up all of those coal and gas mines. Our climate simply cannot take that. So they've proposed a scheme that certainly has some flaws and that we would like improved, but we can tolerate those flaws if they simply agree to not open new coal and gas mines and make the problem worse. We've got great renewable energy options. We've got great job-creating opportunities there. That's where the focus should be, not in subsidising and approving new polluting coal and gas mines. Just lastly, Senator, it'd be remiss of me not to ask about your former Greens colleague Lydia Thorpe's actions at Mardi Gras over the weekend where she was removed from the parade after lying in front of a float in what she says was a protest against police violence. What did you make of her actions? Well, look, I won't be making any comment on that. Um, Senator Thorpe is, is not with the Greens anymore and she's very much in charge of her own actions. Senator Larissa Waters, appreciate your time this afternoon. Thanks so much, Andy. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.